So with that, let's get into the Word. Huh? You got your Bibles? Open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 12 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, you know, raise your hand. The usher can get you one. Um, I use the New King James Version, so if that's the Bibles we have that we hand out. So if you want to use that, you can use that, or if you want to follow along with whatever version you have there, it's um, good as well. But I use the New King James Version. Um, for those of you at home, too, if you want to follow along. I was thinking about it. It's been a while. You know, I was talking this morning. It's, uh, you know, last time I taught in, like, an official setting, you know, Bible study, uh, children's ministry classroom, uh, just on a Sunday morning like this, it's been, it's been over six months. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Um, you know, it was a, I was teaching a men's Bible study when the, the whole shutdown, lockdown thing happened, so I had to cancel that. I wasn't able to finish that. And, um, so this will be my first, uh, first time teaching in an official setting in you know, six months. So uh, it was kind of fun been since March, really. Um, you know, and uh, I was thinking about it, you know, when Pastor Corey you know, said I needed to fill in this morning for him, I was like, well, you know, Lord, what do you want me to teach? And, you know, over this time I've been reading Romans, and God's really speaking to me on Romans, you know, because you, you wonder, you know, I mean, God allowed this to obviously happen. I mean, he's in control, and, you know, it's like, well, what do you want us to learn from this experience? You know, it's kind of what I found myself asking. I'm sure some of you are asking the same things. You know, what do you, what do you want us to learn from this experience, God? And certainly patience has been something I've been learning. I know many of you have been learning that as well. Uh, God has a way of reminding me I think I'm a patient man, but then he puts me in a new situation where I realize I'm really not that patient, <laughs> and i got to learn it again. You know, so I've been learning patience. I've been learning that I'm not in control. You know, I'm not in control. You know, God is in control. There are things out of my control that, that only he can do. You know, and I'm learning to trust him more and really rely upon him more, and I hope you guys are as well. Because, um, you know, persecution's increasing. That's the other thing I've learned. It's really, you see a lot of it going on in the news. A lot of churches are in the news, and things are happening that weren't happening a year ago or six months ago, you know. And, uh, so persecution's definitely increasing out there, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you, like myself, find ourselves asking, you know, well, what do we do? All right? I mean, what do we do? Our circumstances are, are what they are. And, uh, you know, just going through Romans, uh, you know, the Lord is really just kind of speaking to my heart uh, when I was going through Romans 12. Uh, just kind of a good reminder on, um, you know, the calling really hasn't changed. You know, regardless of what our circumstances are, I mean, the calling really hasn't changed. We're called to do what God's called us to do uh, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, whatever the circumstances are. And, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see that this morning as we go through Romans. Um, so, so please, you know, turn to Romans 12 if you're not there already. And uh, let's pray. And then we'll, we'll get into the word. Huh? So, Father, uh, we do thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this time, as always, just to be able to be still, just to get in your word. And, uh, and I do pray, Lord, as we uh, go through Romans here this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts, and speak to our minds, renew our minds, Lord, and uh, we'd be focused on you and, and you alone, and that you teach us this morning, Father. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans, if you're familiar with the book of Romans, um, really the theme of Romans is the righteousness that comes from God. Yeah, that's really the theme of Romans, and you see that throughout the scriptures there. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 uh, really presents the truth that God justifies the guilty, the condemned sinners um, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's really what chapters 1 through 11 uh, really highlights for us. Now, chapter 12 is where he gets into the more of the, uh, the practical side of things. He begins to get into the practical application of this truth. You know, what we're to do with our lives after we're saved, after we're born again. So after he kind of lays out the first 11 chapters that, yes, you're saved by, by faith, well, then the next, you know, starting in chapter 12 is, well, what are you supposed to do about it? What do you do with your lives after the fact that you're saved? And that's really what he gets into. So chapter 12, uh, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So right there in the chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 there, he's saying you need to be a living sacrifice. You know, we're no longer under the law. 
you know, we're no longer under the sacrificial system. You know, dead sacrifices are no longer required. You don't bring these dead sacrifices to cover your sin anymore temporarily. We're under the new covenant now. And under this new covenant, we're to offer a living sacrifice, which is ourselves. That's the living sacrifice that we're to offer to God. And we're to live our lives completely for God. And really for two reasons, and that's what we see here in these uh, first couple of scriptures here. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And it's by the mercies of God that we're brethren. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ by the mercies of God. And it's the fact that he saved us, that we're born again. And that's really the first reason why we should live our lives as living sacrifices, living completely for God, is because he saved us. He saved you. He saved me. We couldn't save ourselves. Only God could save us. And we owe him our lives, essentially. You know, we owe him everything. You know, the fact that we're saved, the fact that we have a future, the fact that we have a hope in heaven one day is because of God. And it's by the mercies of God that we have that hope. And that's really what it's about. You know, our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the fact that we're sinners, that we could only get saved by Jesus, by him dying on the cross, by him raising them from the dead, you know, proving that he's the son of God, proving that he has the power to forgive our sins and give us eternal life, you know, putting our faith and trust in him. You know, and that's really the gospel that's just what we believe and that's how we're saved and through that we have that hope so he says by the mercies of God we should live as a living sacrifice but also as reasonable right he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable God which is your reasonable service it makes total sense God saved me he gave me a life he gave me eternal life well it makes total sense that I should turn around and give that life back to him it's reasonable. It makes sense. It, you know, it doesn't take much to think it through. <laughs> it's like you can simple, anyone can kind of simply sit down and think it through. You know, and I love that um, about God, you know, because he's a very reasonable God. You know, so the question is, you know, what are you living for, right? right? If we're to have our lives be a living sacrifice for God, and that's really what God's will is for us, and the question is, well, what are you living for? You know, I love Pastor Chuck's always talked about whatever the master passion of your life is, that's really truly your God. And it's always good to do kind of a self-analysis of what are we living for, right? You know, what are, what are we living? What's our master passion in our lives? Is it some sports team out there that you're just a diehard for? You must be having a hard time because all the sports are gone right now. <laughs> or is it your career that you're living for? You know, maybe your career got taken away during this time, right? I mean, what, you know, what is it? Money, pleasure, you know, what are, you, what are you living for? That's the question. And we should all do a self-analysis and find out exactly what the master passion of our lives is. It should be God. It should be who we're living for. He's our number one. It should be our number one. Always. You know, seeking him, keeping our eyes on him, focusing on him, you know, living a living sacrificial life for him. You know, that should be our number one motive. And I love the fact that God is reasonable. I do love that aspect about God. Many people accuse us, too, of, you know, we don't have a, you know, reasonable faith. They'll say we have a blind faith. You know, like, oh, you just blindly believe things. You know, oh, what do you believe that book? It's written by a bunch of men. And, you know, we get accused of things like that all the time. But no, our faith is reasonable. We, have, we serve a living God, and he's a reasonable God. And he's given us many good reasons why we believe what we believe. You know, he knows we were created as an image. He can reason things out, we can reason things out, and we can look at the evidence that he's provided for us and put our faith and trust in him and reasonably know that it's a legitimate faith and it's a legitimate trust and that we can hold to that. You know, I love Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, there in chapter 1, he says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. He says, Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. And then he says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know? And I love that. He's like, just come and let us reason together. You know, I talked to my non-believing friends and family members. You know, I always approach them in that sense. I was like, let's reason together. You know, let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about things. You know, let's reason this out. Think it through. You know, do you really know where you're going when you die? Do you have any doubt about it? Do you know how you got here? <laughs> you know, 
Where did you come from? You know, the question of origins. What's your purpose in life? What's your meaning in life? You know, let's reason these things out. Let's look at the scriptures together and figure it out because God is a reasonable God and we have many good reasons why we believe what we believe. And let's take a look at them. You know, and I love that about the Lord. I love that attribute that we serve a reasonable God and we have a reasonable faith. And it makes sense to believe. It makes sense to put our faith and trust in him. So we must live sacrificial lives and we must walk in the spirit. Now, how do we do this? Uh, Galatians is a good way to start. You know, you don't need to turn there, but if you go to Galatians 5, you know, if you want to kind of know where you're at. Am I living a sacrificial life for God? Am I doing what he's called me to do? Uh, you can go in Galatians and you can read now the, the works of the flesh are evident. So if you want to know if you're walking in the flesh or you're walking in the spirit, go and read Galatians 5, verses 19 to 26. He says the works of the flesh are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. So if you're not living for God, you're definitely living for selfish ambitions. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's not to say these people can't get saved. I mean, some of us were like this, and we got saved. But if we continue practicing these things, then it's a pretty clear indicator that potentially we might not be saved, and that, too, that we're not living for God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you want to know if you're walking in the Spirit, you know, again, just take that self-assessment. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's kindness. It's goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to or envying one another. You know, so, and God will develop these things in your life. As you read his word and you walk with him, you'll, you'll develop these things more and more in your life. You'll become more loving. You'll become more joyful, more peaceful. You know, so it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the fruits of the Spirit are developed as opposed to the gifts of the Spirit which are given. And we'll get into that in a minute when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so if you're not there yet, don't get too, too bothered, right? None of us are all there yet. We're all in that process of sanctification. We're all learning. We're all walking with Jesus and we're growing. But it's a good place to start. Read Galatians 5 and you can kind of do that assessment. Where am I at? Am I walking with Jesus? Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I living that sacrificial life? Or am I in the flesh? Am I walking in the flesh and just conforming to this world? And it's a good thing to sit down and take a look at it at some point. And verse 2, he says, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we're, so we're to stop living like the world. <laughs> don't be conformed to this world. That's what he's saying there. Don't, don't become like them, right? Stop trying to be relevant, you know? That's one of the biggest problems with the church today is that we brought so much things in from the world that it's hard to even tell the difference anymore. You know, you, I see some of these events going on, or you can even look on TV. They got some of these churches that broadcast things live on TV, and it almost looks like they're going to a nightclub. You know, it's like everything's dark, and they got the lights. You know, it's just like they're going to some kind of nightclub on in the inner city or something. And I'm like, that's 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 a church event. That's a gathering of the church to study the Word and pray and, and seek the Lord and be at peace and fellowship. You know. I'm like, that looks like a party. That's like a nightclub bash, you know? It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing what goes on. They just brought these things in, and they look so much like the world, and you can't even really differentiate. You could look at one nightclub and another nightclub, and you're like, well, which one's Christian? Which one's, you know, not? You know, it's like, I don't know. Same music, same sound, just kind of switch the words around a little bit, you know? So they it, it, it brought a lot of it in, but you should be able to tell apart. There should be a clear distinction, you know? There should be a light or dark. It should be good or evil. You're either a Christian or you're not, you know? There should be a clear distinction, a clear choice. You know, they should be able to look at your life and say, hey, they live different. They talk different. They sound different. They look at peace. They look like they're, they have hope. They have joy. You know, what's going on, right? They should be able to look at your life and say, wow, there's something there. That's not like the world. It's not what I see in the world. There's something I see in their life, in their family, in their home, and I want that. There should be a clear distinction. You know what I mean? I remember I even met a girl one time when I was deployed in Iraq. And I was in the Bible study out there, and there was this young lady that just got saved. And she was sharing one time, and I remember it always kind of stuck with me because she was into the whole nightclub scene, and 
you know, the raves and things, you know, and, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like, uh, I forget the names of it now, but like electronic music or, you know, or, uh, you know, I can't think of the name right now, but, um, but she was, you know, she was in that. And then she got saved and people were trying to encourage her. Well, you can listen to the same music. It's, got, it's just a Christian style or something, you know. But she was having a real hard time with that because that kind of music was bringing her back. You know, it was giving her all these memories of the emotions and the things that she had been in and dealt with, you know. And they were trying to encourage her. No, you can listen to it because it's okay. And she's like, no, I can't listen to that. That reminds me too much of the world. You know, and I, it always kind of stuck with me because I was like, I mean, I'm excited there's all kinds of, you know, different genres of Christian music out there. I mean, I enjoy all different kinds, you know. Um, but for some people, it's a challenge, you know, and you got there's, there's that balance there. And, and I always remember that because she had a challenge with it, right? It was too much like the world. You know, this Christian music was just like too much like the world, that at least that, that band or whatever they were trying to get her to listen to. And she's like, I can't do it. It brings back too many memories, you know. So there should be a clear distinction, you know. And Peter talks about this in First Peter 4. He says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. So as in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And they do. They think it's strange. When you get saved and when you're born again and you leave that lifestyle, they do think it's strange. They're like, what are you doing giving all this up? We're having fun over here. Why aren't you running with us anymore? You know? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm saved. I'm born again. I got a new purpose, a new life. I'm living for Jesus now. You know, and they think it's strange. In their eyes, we just found religion. You know, you just got religion. You go to church now. I go, yeah, I go to church now. <laughs> but in their eyes, it's just a strange thing, and they give you a hard time about it. But we need to allow God to change us, right? We need to allow God to change you. And that's what he's saying here when he's talking about not conforming to this world. Not only do we not conform to the world, but we also allow God to transform us by renewing our minds. And we have to allow him to do that. He's first going to change our heart. That's the first thing. You know, he's going to change your heart and change your, uh, the way you view things. You're going to be born again. And the second thing he's going to change is really your mind. That's what he's talking about. He's going to renew your mind. Your mind is changed. It's renewed. And after that, it'll become your behavior. Your behavior is changed. Because what you believe ultimately determines how you act. So there's that process that takes place. And that renewing of your mind must take place. You've got to think different which ultimately leads to you acting different, you know? But it all starts with being born again and God changing your heart. That's ultimately what needs to change. You know, too much in the world, I know Pastor Corey's been kind of touching on that, where it's like the, the world will just say, you just got to think different, you got to think positive or whatever. Well, that's not it. You got to get saved, you got to get born again. The heart has to be changed before the mind can be renewed, and then your behavior will follow, your behavior will change. You might not even notice it's happening. I remember when I was born again, I was cussing like a sailor and doing all kinds of horrible stuff, smoking and drinking and things, and, you know, just going to church and reading the Bible. Eventually, I quit cursing. I don't even know how it happened. I was just like, well, someone mentioned it one time. I'm like, yeah, found some new words, I guess, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, I got better words to use now, you know. Smoking took a little while, but I was able to get rid of that. You know, God took that away took the drinking and other things away immediately, but that smoking hung on. It took me a while to get rid of those cigarettes. But it's mostly the price. They went to like $5 a pack, so I quit. It's like, it's like I can't afford this. I think they're like $10 now, you know? It's, it's insane what people pay for that stuff. But uh, anyway, you know, the behavior will follow. So the key is just, obviously, first get born again, but then stay in the Word, stay in the fellowship, and stay in prayer. And, and over time, God will just... Renew your mind, and you'll just be thinking different, acting different, behaving different. You know, thank God for that. Because he does the work. You can't do it. You couldn't save yourself. You can't change your heart. You can't renew your mind. You just have to be with Jesus, and he'll do that work on you. And this is God's will. Right? He says that, you know, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that is God's will, that all be saved. That all live righteous lives for him. It's simple. He wants everyone to be born again. He wants everyone to love him. Love your neighbor, right? Love your God and love your neighbor. And to live for him. And then he goes on. For I say there in verse 3, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So once you're saved, once you're born again, God gives you a gift, maybe multiple gifts. But everybody here has one gift, at least. If you've been saved, you've been born again, the Holy Spirit's indwelling you, you have a gift. God has given you something. And he wants you to use that gift within the fellowship, within the community, within you know, the world, really. He wants you to use that gift for him and for his glory. And then he gives us a list here. And that's what we're going to take a look at. But before we get to that, he says there in verse 3, he says he wants you to think soberly of yourself first. And what does that mean? He wants you to be humble. Right? Because we can get kind of lifted up. When we get saved, we're like, hey, I'm saved and you're not. You know, I got these gifts and you don't. I can do these things now. And you can kind of get lifted up. You can kind of become a little prideful or arrogant, you know. And I'm not drinking anymore and look at you down there. You know, it's like you can kind of fall into that trap sometimes. And he's saying don't think so highly of yourself. He's saying think soberly, right? Jesus was humble. We ought to be humble too. And he's our greatest example. If anyone could have been, you know. I'm the greatest, you know. Jesus could have taken that stance because he is the greatest. But he didn't. He chose to be humble. And we should be humble as well. So, you know, I mean, what do you have that wasn't given to you? Your salvation was given to you. You didn't earn it. All these gifts are the spiritual gifts that he gives you. You know, he gave those to you. Your life was given to you. Whatever possessions and money you have, they all come from God. Right? What do you have to brag about? Everything you have comes from God. Your salvation, your life, everything. Your family. You know, so you have nothing to really be bragging about or being conceited about. He says, think soberly about these things. You know, our lives in the scriptures are even compared very often to very temporal things, vapors and grass. It says your life is like a vapor. You're just here for one second and you're gone the next. Your life is like the grass. It just grows and the flowers come and then the sun beats on it and they burn away and they're gone. You know, don't think you're so special. <laughs> you know, we often think we're, just, you know, the world can't move without me. Oh, yeah, I can. Once you quit your job, they plug someone else in. You know, it just, life goes on, the world moves on, you know. So he's saying think soberly about these things, right? And there in verse 4, he says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You know, so we have uh, different amounts of faith even, too. I missed that part there. Sorry, back in verse 3 where he says uh, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith as well. We also have different measures of faith that God has given us, which we can't brag about either. Some have more faith, some have less. You know, he often talked about the apostles, you know, you call them little faith, you know. So if you have little faith, don't feel too bad. But he said, so even though we have different measures of faith, we also have different gifts from God. And we're one body of believers, he says, with different functions, just like a physical body. You know, we see this throughout the scriptures, this comparison to the church body to a physical body. And there's a great comparison. Because many of us, we're all together, right? There's many of us that make one body. But we all don't do the same things. We all have different gifts. We all have different measures of faith. And you can't look down upon one or the other or look up to one or the other, right? No one's really better than anybody else. You know, you may have one gift and I don't have that gift. You may have a little more faith than I got. You know, and that's okay. Some people can sell their home and quit their job and take off overseas, and they got the faith to go do that, and I'm shocked they do that. I'm like, how could they do that? You know, <laughs> but, but they do that. You know, and that's them. They got the faith to do that. God's given me the faith to do other things. God's given you the faith to do things. And it's different giftings, right? God's given us all kinds of different gifts. But within the body, you use those gifts and those amounts of faith that he's given you to do what God's called you to do and to, you know, strengthen the body. I mean, just look at your physical body, right? All, you need all your parts to work together. Otherwise, you're going to be a real mess. You know, if your legs give out on you, you ain't going to be able to walk anywhere. You know, if your eyes quit, you won't be able to see nothing. You know, if your ears give out, you can't hear, right? So you need all these body parts doing their exact same thing, or doing this, not doing the same thing, but doing different things, in order for it to all work together. And just like the body, you know, the parts you can't see are oftentimes the most important. Right? What, what would you do without your heart? You can't see your heart. But if that thing quit on you, you're in real trouble. Or your mind, you can't see your brain. That stops working, you're in real trouble. You can't see it, but that's the most important. 
oftentimes within the church, it's the members that are doing the things behind the scenes that you never see that are the most important. I mean, you can see me, I'm visible. Everyone's looking at me. But there's people behind the scenes doing book work and administrative things and fixing toilets and putting lights in and running like, you know what I mean? Putting drywall up and all kind, you know, fixing problems, yard work, going out there doing outreaches, keeping the radio running. I mean, there's people doing things you don't see, doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes that are so important, often more important than the parts that you see. And that's what the comparison that he's giving you. He's like, look at the body, right? That's how it works. And you need everybody doing what they're called to do. Someone's got to clean. Someone's got to cook food, you know? Someone's got to set up, tear down. That's how it works. You know, and we are one body of believers with different functions, just like a physical body, but each member functions to serve the body, not the body to serve the members. And that's always good to keep in mind. The idea should be what can we do for others, right? That should be our attitude. What can we do for others, not what can they do for me? And oftentimes we get that mixed up. We'll show up at a church fellowship or a church event or gathering or something. Well, what can they do for me? You know, how can they serve me? You know, I got these problems, I got these things, you know. All right, should be, well, we want to, what can we do for others? You know, I mean, obviously the church is here for our needs, right? We're here to pray for each other and help each other. I mean, that is a fact, but, you know, our thinking should be, what can we do for others, too? How can I be a part of this body? How can I be a part of what God is doing in this church fellowship or in this community? And where do I fit in? You know, what part am I? Am I a, a hand? Am I an arm? Am I a leg? You know, am I an eye or a brain or whatever? You know, am I the heart? You know, where do you fit in? In verse 6 there, he goes on, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. He says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he goes on to explain that we've all been given a gift, and we're to use that gift, and it's a choice that you must make. You know, I mean, you can be given a gift, and you can choose not to use it, unfortunately. You have the, that freedom. So, and many people do. And it's a sad sight. I mean, I see people that choose not to be a part of the fellowship, and they're missing out. Not only are they missing out on partaking in the fellowship, but they have a gift that they should be using, and they're choosing not to do it. And it's a sad sight to see, and I can't force them to. No one can force you to use that gift that God has given you. It's a choice. It's a free will. And don't be afraid to test your gifts. That's the other thing. We'll get into the gifts here in a minute. But when you do realize what your gift is, don't be afraid to test your gift. It's a good way to find out if you got it or not. You know, if you think you got the gift of teaching, come and talk to me or, or my wife, and we'll put you in a children's ministry class, and we'll see if, uh, we'll see if that's where God really has you. <laughs> or if you think you got the gift of helps or the gift of ministering, you know, just sign up to serve in some way. And if you enjoy it, praise God. If you're miserable, then that ain't your gift. You know? You'll figure it out real quick. I mean, when I first got saved, I thought I was an evangelist. You know, I got saved, I was so excited, and I realized pretty quick that, man, this is real. People are going to heaven, people are going to hell, and I need to go out there and tell them. And I did. I went out there and tell them, and I learned real quick I didn't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> I went to the local mall because you're like, you read the scriptures, and um, I'm sure I've told the story before, but you read the scriptures. And they always went to the marketplace, right? They'd go to the marketplace and try to reach out, you know, Paul and Athens, you know, and talking to everyone in the marketplace. And I was like, well, there's no marketplaces around here anymore, right? We're in America. You go to the grocery store or whatever. I was like, well, let's go to the mall, right? That's where the, kind of the biggest gathering was. So me and a bunch of guys went to the mall, and we just went and told everybody we knew about Jesus that we could walk up to. And I ended up getting kicked out by the security guards. And... <laughs> You know, I could have fought them, you know, because they're just security guards. What could they do, right? But they can call the cops, I guess. They kick you out. So I got kicked out. And then we, we found out how to get back in with the table and the booth and stuff and whatnot, you know. But I just realized pretty quick, though, even though I had the heart to do it, I didn't really have the gift to do it. Because a lot of times I was so scared to walk up to someone and tell them about Jesus or Sometimes I wish they wouldn't even want to talk to me. I'd be like, well, I'll go to the next radio. <laughs> you know, and that's how you kind of find out, you know. If you're the type that will go knock on a door to go share the gospel and you're hoping they're not going to answer, then it's pretty clear you don't have the gift of evangelism, right? And, you know, you know, figure it out. So don't be afraid to test your gifts, you know. If it ain't for you, it ain't for you. But go out there and take a step of faith and just test it. Maybe this is what God has you to do, you know. And once a believer has identified their gift, they should strive to excel in that gift that they've been given and devote themselves to the body by exercising those certain gifts. 
So those gifts that you know you have that you've been given from God, you should seek to develop them and excel in those gifts, right? You'll probably have other gifts too, you know, but there should be some main ones that you have, and you should be seeking to excel in those and really develop those, and the others will kind of come along. But once you've identified it, you know, don't disregard it. You should spend the time to definitely develop it. So, with that said, let's take a look at these gifts. The first one is prophecy, right? And before we get into these two, if you want to write it down, Romans chapter 12 gives you a list here of spiritual gifts. But if you want to go back and you want to read, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can read Ephesians chapter 4, and that'll give you the other list of the gifts. And by putting them all together, you'll get a complete list of what all the spiritual gifts are. We don't have enough time to go over all of them. We'll just focus on what's in Romans. Um, but if you want, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. And you can get the whole complete picture of all the spiritual gifts. And they even mention them to kind of overlap sometimes, too, and you'll see that. But here we have prophecy. And when we go through this list, and we've read it a couple of times already, but prophecy would be the really first one and the only one in this list that you could really say is potentially a sign gift. Because when you go through the gifts of the Spirit, there are certain sign gifts, and this one could potentially be seen as that. This would be the only one. The others are, are not sign gifts. And the only way this one could really be a sign gift, and this is an interesting one, the gift of prophecy. And when you read the New Testament scriptures and you when you read in the New Covenant and you see what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and giving of these spiritual gifts, prophecy is an interesting one because people differ on exactly what this gift is. And it's really either whether you believe this is a foretelling of the future, a gift of being able to tell the future, or if this is really a foretelling of the Word of God, just kind of prophesying and sharing spontaneously uh, the Word of God. The reason we think it could be a foretelling of the future is because we see that in Acts 21, verses 10 to 11. It says, As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man whose own, who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And that exactly happened. He ended up getting arrested. And you know, we know the story going to Rome. So this was a prophet. It says it right in the scriptures. This man was a prophet. And he came down and he foretold the future. And it came to pass. So this could very well be the gift. The gift of prophecy in that sense. Or it could be the foretelling of the word of God, which is really a communicating of God's message to really strengthen and encourage and comfort. Not really teaching, but more of, like I said, just like a spontaneous kind of proclamation of God's word. You know, man or woman is just filled with the Holy Spirit and will proclaim the word of God kind of a thing. Um, Acts 15 actually has an account of this. If you go and you read Acts 15, it talks about Judas and Silas who are referred to as prophets, but they don't tell the future. They're just seen as simply exhorting and strengthening with many words. So you, you get these different understandings through the scripture of exactly kind of what this gift of prophecy is. Maybe at one point, you know, it's foretelling the future, another it's just prophesying and just kind of sharing the word of God. Sometimes you could even kind of look at it as both, because if you're sharing the word of God, there's prophecies in the scripture. So you're sharing the word of God and the prophecies are already in the scriptures, so you kind of look at it that. Um, so how you kind of look at this gift of prophecy, and I tend to kind of lean towards the, really the fourth telling. Uh, it's not the fourth telling, but the um, just uh, fourth telling of the, yeah, fourth telling of the scriptures, just kind of preaching the word of God kind of in a sense. Um, but the other key too is you gotta beware of false prophets. <laughs> so not only are there some that have this gift of prophecy, and maybe they can be able to foretell the future, you got to be cautious of that kind of stuff. If someone comes up to you and tells you, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, this is going to happen to you, you know, or something like this, you know, right? We see that often out there in, in the news or in the country or something. Someone writes a book and the world's going to end on this day and, and then it never happens, you know. Back in the day, they'd be stoned to death. You know, we don't do that anymore, so they're not afraid of that. So they'll write all kinds of books and they'll do all kinds of things on TV and, you know, and say all kinds of future prophetic things. And there's lots of false prophets out there, so you got to be you got to be careful with that. Even some of the big ones, right? Muhammad claimed to be a prophet. Joseph Smith claimed to be a prophet. Uh, there's many out there that are false prophets. So you got to be aware of that. Uh, but this is a legitimate gift. I mean, the gift of prophecy is a legitimate gift. And if you have it, it says right here, you're to exercise it in proportion to our faith, which is why I kind of lean towards this is more of a foretelling of the scriptures of the word of God and not necessarily foretelling the future. Now, the next one that you look at 
is ministry, and ministry is really service. And as we go through these, again, you can just kind of think of it. You know, do I have this gift? Is this what God's kind of called me to do, right? And ministry is really just another way of saying service, performing an act of service, right? How do you want to serve? If you have the gift of service, where do you want to serve, right? You want to usher, you want to greet, you want to set up, you want to tear down, you want to hand out flyers, you want to go out there and do outreaches. I mean, how do you want to serve? All right, design your heart. If that's what God is, the gift he's given you, then your heart's going to be in serving. I just want to serve. I want to do something for God. You know, no matter what it is, you know, I'll vacuum the carpet. So I'll paint the wall. Whatever. You know, you just have that gift. And some people just naturally just want to serve. And that's a great thing. Teaching is the next one. And this is really in reference to teaching the Word of God. You know, if you have the gift of teaching, it's the gift of teaching the Word of God. It's being able to study the Scriptures, understand the Scriptures, and go out there and explain it and give the sense and help people to understand and learn and grow. You know, there's different levels. Maybe you're teaching adults. Maybe you're teaching young adults. Maybe you're teaching children. Right? Teaching is teaching. You know, you're teaching the word. You know, you're teaching the kids at their level. You're teaching the adults at their level. But if you have the gift of teaching, you'll have the ability to do that. And you'll have the desire to do that. You'll be compelled to do that. Right? I teach people. And I, you know, I'll drive people crazy. You, know, you can start getting me talking about Jesus. I'll just go on and on and on for hours. And I see it. Some people just start tuning me out. You know, they start falling asleep. I'm like, all right, I've said enough. <laughs> but I'll go on. You know, I mean, teaching is just what I do. You know, I mean, that's why it's so strange. I haven't taught in any, you know, since six months. So I can go on for hours. You guys ready for a few hours? You know? <laughs> Been out of practice. So the gift of teaching, right? And, and you're teaching believers primarily, but you're also teaching non-believers. That happens too. Because when you're out there sharing the gospel, they got questions. Sometimes before you can really get to the gospel message, you've got to answer some of these questions. Well, what about evolution? What about creation? What about heaven? What about hell? What about this or what about that? You know? Well, this is what God says. This is what you know, so you're teaching in that capacity too. For believers, you're really teaching them the word of God so that they can grow and mature and understand. You know? Non-believers, you're trying to get them to come around so they can get saved. You know, that's really what you kind of teach them there. But the gift of teaching is just that. You're teaching really primarily the, the believers so that they can grow, mature, and become solid believers, really, with a firm foundation. That's what it's about. And it's one of the few gifts where you don't really see an immediate result. You know, If you have the gift of evangelism, you see people get saved, right? If you have the gift of giving, you see the response right away. Right? If it, there's so many gifts where you see an immediate result. Even the gift that helps or the gift of ministry. You're out there serving and helping. You see the response. Hey, I got that done. That task was finished. One of the challenges with the gift of teaching is you don't see results right away. You can teach and teach and teach, and sometimes you're like, man, are they getting it? <laughs> it's like, many of us parents go through that with our children, right? right? You're trying to teach your children. You're just like, I told them again and again and again, and they just don't seem to get it, right? You know, and then sometimes they surprise you. Oh, yeah, they were listening. <laughs> so they are getting it. You know, and the gift of teaching is a challenging one because you don't get those immediate results. So just kind of be prepared for that. And that's one thing to keep in mind in general, too, is when you do recognize your gift and you start to use it, you know, there will be challenges, right? Then the Holy Spirit empowers you, but the enemy will come after you because the enemy doesn't want you to use your gifts. But the moment you start using them, he's going to come after you to try to get you to stop using your gifts. So you got to keep that in mind, too. So if you have that gift of teaching, it's one of those where you got to kind of really keep at it because you're not going to see the results. And the enemy can come after you, so it can be challenging. But the next one is exhortation, right? Prophecy, ministry, teaching. And then he who exhorts an exhortation. Now, exhortation is really an appeal to action, sacrifice, overcoming what is sinful. It's also encouragement and comfort. You can see it in a positive and a negative sense. Positively, this gift of exhortation is really you're going to someone, you're saying, well, this is what you should do. Keep doing that. You know, you're doing good, you know, encouraging them, kind of exhorting them in that sense. The negative sense would be, don't do that. Stay away from that. It's going to hurt you. It's going to kill you. You could lose your family. It could really cause problems. Stay away, right? And, you know, that's that gift of exhortation. And some people have that gift to be able to just to boldly go up to somebody and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Hang in there. Or, you know what? You got to stop doing that, Right? They're able to have those tough conversations, really, because they have that gift. They can really come up to a brother or sister and, hey, you got to stay away from that brother, you know. Don't do that, sister, you know. And that's that gift of exhortation. And maybe you have that. The gift of giving would be the next one. It says to give with liberality, right? And oftentimes when you think of the gift of giving, you really immediately you think of money. 
I hope you want to give money. And that is part of it, right? If you're giving money, if you've been blessed financially, yeah. I mean, we tithe and we give offerings. Uh, but it can also be possessions. Right? You, you give possessions. And you know, we have all kinds of possessions, don't we? We have homes, we have cars, we have tools, we have computers or whatever, right? Offer up your home. You want to, hey, someone wants to start a Bible study. I got a big house. You want to use my house? Right? Kind of gift of giving in that sense. I got a car. You need a ride? I can give you a ride. You know? I got tools. You want to borrow my tools, right? You can kind of give of your possessions. You can give of your time even, too. That's one people often don't think about. Time is something that you possess, and you can give it or not. You know, you only have so much time in your life. You know, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to give it? You know, if you have the gift of giving, you'll give of your time. I can help. I can fix that. I can work. I can listen. That takes time. You want to listen, sometimes you take, take hours. Right? I could share, I could teach, right? That takes time. So if you have the gift of giving, you're willing to give those things. Your money, your possessions, your time, you know. You have that gift. Leading would be the next one. Leading various ministries, having certain responsibilities. And certain men are leaders. They take charge and they want that responsibility. Other men say, fine, have it. I don't want the responsibility, you know. And you, and you realize pretty quick whether you have that gift of leading or not by that. If you're the type sit there and be like, eh, he can have it, he can do it, you know, then you don't have that gift. But if something pops up, we need someone to do this. We need someone to take charge of this and make this happen. Hey, I'll do it. You know, that could be a good indication that you have the gift of leading, that you want to take on that responsibility, that you want to make sure this thing comes, comes about and gets done. But if you're the one sitting back like, eh, let him do it, you know, you don't have that gift. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's how you figure these things out. Because you know, your gifts are going to be very natural. Whatever God has gifted you with, it's just going to be natural. He just gives it to you. It's not like the fruit of the Spirit where it's developed in you. It's a gift that's just given to you, and you're just going to naturally want to do it. It's just you know, it's given to you. So it's going to be a very natural thing. It's going to be very something that you just want to do. You know, if you've got to struggle, if you've got to fight, if you're striving, most likely you don't have that gift. You're in the wrong spot. You're an arm trying to act like a foot or something, you know, and you don't want to do that. You want to find where you fit in that body and do what God's called you to do. And mercy's the last one that he mentions here. And this is an interesting one. He says mercy is a gift of the Spirit. And mercy is really being compassionate or kindly, forbearance, and showing toward an offender or an enemy or other persons that's in your power, you know, someone that you have the power to forgive, someone that you have the power to be merciful to, you know. And he says to do this one, with cheerfulness. You know, why would he mention that? Because we have the tendency not to do this pretty cheerfully. Right? If, you, if you have to forgive someone sometimes, sometimes you can go into their kind of really begrudgingly, you know, like, oh, I got to forgive this guy. You know? I don't want to do it, but I, God says I got to do it. You know, right? And you shouldn't, shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't go into the situation like I got to forgive them and then almost kind of expect some kind of debt they owe you now. Like, oh, I forgave them, so they owe me. He's like, no, you don't do that. It's like, you have these gifts of mercy, you should do it cheerfully. Go out there and forgive and show mercy and kindness and compassion. And don't expect anything in return, you know. Do it with cheerfulness. So we have that list here. Again, if you want to go and read those other scriptures I referenced, uh, you can get the complete list. Um, read them all, put it all together. Really seek the Lord. You know, ask Him to reveal the gifts that He's given you. And then once He's revealed those gifts to you, do exactly like He says in the scripture. Use them. Don't let them go to waste. Time is short. Time is running out. If you're paying attention to things going on in the world, I mean, man, we don't have much time left to use our gifts. Put those gifts to work. Use them for the glory of God and for His his people for his kingdom, put them to use. Identify them. And again, don't be afraid to test them out. Come and talk to myself, talk to Pastor Corey, anyone else in leadership. Hey, I want to do this, or I want to do that. I, wanna, I think I got this gift. Great. Let's take it, let's test them out. Let's see what God's doing. Let's see how he wants to work in your life and others. You know, it's a good thing. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Maybe God has something else for you, right? So. Don't be afraid to take that step of faith. So he goes on. After listening here, he's saying, you know, you're born again. You're saved. You want to live that sacrificial life. You have these gifts that he's given you. 
and he uses these gifts, right? And then he goes on to really kind of give us more practical advice on how to live that Christian life. And verse 9, he goes on, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. And really it means, it means to be genuine. You know, it can't be this fake, ah, I love you. you know, it's, no, it's, it's a genuine love that we should have for each other, a brotherly love, you know, that agape love. You know? That's what he's talking about here. You know, we should genuinely love each other and care for each other and help each other. And that's what he's saying. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And that's strong language there. You need to abhor what is evil. Don't take it lightly. I mean, if it's evil, it's evil and call it evil. And stay away from it. Right? There's no middle ground. Like, oh, it's not that bad. I could indulge in this here and there. And that's okay. It's not hurting anybody. No, it's evil. You need to abhor it. You need to stay away from it. And cling to what is good. Identify what's good. This is good in the world. This is good in my life. And I need to cling to this. I need to hold on to this. I need to encourage this, right? And encourage others in that area too. So abhor what is evil, but also cling to what is good. That's what God's advising us here. And be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Again, that humility. Not lagging in diligence. So don't be lazy. Be diligent. Laziness is a sin. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, God has called you to, to do something for him. God has given you an ability and a skill, right? Don't be lazy. Uh, be diligent, right? Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Doing what God called you to do. Rejoicing in hope. And we do have a hope. We have a future and a hope because God has saved us. We have eternal life that we're looking forward to. We have heaven one day, right? This isn't all there is, and thank God for that. And if you watch the news, I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you know, come now, you know. It's like we're, this, is, this is just getting wild out there, you know, in America, right? You look at, you know, overseas, I mean, I've been places around the world, and you're like, wow, it's crazy. But then you come home, and you kind of expect something different, and the craziness is coming here now, too, and you're like, wow, thank God I have a future and a hope. And that my hope and trust isn't in the government or in any kind of system or whatever, you know, in the world. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. And patient in tribulation. Right? I mean, I'm learning patience. I know many of you are learning patience right now. Uh, things, are, things are interesting out there. So God's encouraging us here. Be patient in all these tribulations and trials and challenges. Be patient. And continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is so important. I know Pastor Corey's been teaching on that lately as well, just how important prayer is. Uh, you need to be talking to God continuously. Don't talk to yourself. Talk to God. Talk to Him and spend time with Him and just pour your heart out to Him. I mean, He already knows. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going through. So when you're talking to Him, it's really just acknowledging that He already knows and you're just agreeing with Him. Yeah, Lord, I thought that. Yeah, Lord, I did that. <laughs> you know? Help me in this. Change my heart. Change my mind, right? Just keep talking to them steadfastly in prayer. And distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. You know, that's one reason I'm so excited about the new building we're getting into. We got a whole kitchen there. We got a pantry we can store food in. We got places, you know, I mean, we can really help. We can really be a part of the community and distribute to the needs of the saints. You know, if they're hungry, we can feed them. If they need a place to stay, we can give them a place to stay, you know. If they need clothing, we got clothing, you know. I mean, that's part of what the church does, part of what the fellowship does. And if you have that gift of hospitality. I think that is one of the gifts. You know, opening up your home, having people over. I'd have to go back and look. But hospitality is a good thing. Right? If you love having people over and taking care of people is a great gift. In verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, this can only be done in the spirit. You can't do this in your flesh. You're going to have to ask God... To give you the strength and the ability to do that. Because, man, when they come at you and they're, they're persecuting you, you know, when they're persecuting you and coming after you and you're in a tough spot, it's hard to, it's hard to bless and not curse. <laughs> you, know? you don't want to get in that flesh. So you pray to God, God help me. Change my heart. Help me to say the right thing here. Help me do the right thing here. Uh, because that is what we're called to do, to bless and not curse. In verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And really what he's talking about here is empathy. You got to be able to go through things with people. You know, if they're having a great time, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, and you should be able to rejoice with them. 
Even if you're having a rough day, you should be able to kind of set that aside and say, hey, I'm glad you're, you're having a good time. I'm, I'm happy for you. You, know, you rejoice together, right? Even if you're having a bad day, because you don't want to bring them down, right? You don't go to a wedding and, you know, spill all your challenges and hard time and just ruin the wedding, right? You know, it's like, I'm glad you're getting married, but you wouldn't believe the week ahead, you know? <laughs> so, you know? Like, you don't do that. You know, you rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But you also weep with those who are weeping, right? If you're having a great day, someone had a family member that just passed away. I mean, you're not going to go to their house and say, oh, I'm having such a great time. You know, God's so good. You know? No, you're going to go in there with, with com compassion and empathy and be like, man, they're having a hard time. It, it would be wrong of me. It would be rude of me to go in there and tell them how great I'm doing right now. You know? So you've got to be able to be sensitive to that. And, and that takes time to learn that. That doesn't come overnight. I mean, when I was saved, I didn't even know what that word meant. Never even heard of it. I still remember one of the first arguments my wife got in. And I got in when we first got married. She accused me of not being empathetic, and it stopped me in my tracks because I didn't know what I was being accused of. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, what did you mean? And I was <laughs> thinking in my head, I'm like, empathy? What is that? And, you know, it's like, <laughs> but that's where I was. I had no idea. Yeah, I was, I was learning. You know. Ladies seem to do this much better. You know, I've come to find that out. Ladies are much more empathetic. You know, when, when one lady's crying, they're all crying. When, you know? When one's happy, they're all screaming and happy. You know? You're just like, wow, you know, they really got this down. You know, it's, like, <laughs> you know, it's a little harder for men. You know? It takes some time for men to kind of figure this one. I'm still figuring it out. But, but maybe some of you are a little further along than me. But. Verse 16, he goes on, he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. He says, Do not set your mind on, on high things, but associate with the humble. Uh, do not be wise in your own opinion. So again, he's just encouraging us to be humble. You know, don't be so prideful and, and lift it up. And in verse 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. You know, that's what the world does, right? The world repays evil for evil. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. You stole from me, I'm going to get back at you, right? That's what the world does. We're not to be like that. So don't return evil for evil, we're told here in the scriptures. He says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And that's the other thing. You know, not only do we not return evil for evil, but if something good is going on in the world, you're supposed to shine the light on that and say, hey, yeah, this is good. You know, and not just when we're getting together in fellowship and here in the church. But when we're out there in the world, we're out there in the community. You know, people are talking about things at work or they're making comments about different things. You know, they're talking about evil stuff, let them talk about evil stuff, but the moment something good gets brought up, you can say, hey, that's a good thing, that's great. I'm glad I heard about that, I'm glad I saw that, you know, and you can really shine the light on that. So don't be afraid to call good, good, right? If there's something good going on, bring it to attention. That's what he's saying here. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So not just those who are saved, but those who are unsaved, you know? Like if you see a certain law get passed in the country that, you know, is, is good, Say, hey, did you hear about that? That's, that's a good law right there. So, you know, and you can point that out, whether they agree or disagree. You can call it good. And God's encouraging us to do that. And he says, you know, non-believers will hear this kind of stuff. That's one of the reasons that you do it. It's at work or in the community. You want people to know and you want them to understand. In verse 18, he says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, I know we just covered the first... Thessalonians 4 kind of speaks of the same thing. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So one of God's desires for us as Christians in this world is that we would live peaceable lives, that we would be at peace with others. I certainly want that. I hope you guys certainly want that as well. That's something I strive for. I want to be at peace with my neighbors, with my coworkers. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to share the gospel and be a light, but I'm trying to be at peace, too. And it's a balancing act, and sometimes it's not possible. You just have to get that in your head, too, because he says that right here. If it is possible, which indicates that it's not always possible. Some people are going to get offended. They're going to get upset. They're going to get bothered by what you say or what you do. And you just got to accept that. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 15, 17, how many years now? I've offended a lot of people, I'll just put it that way. Some people get upset at me. And it's not because of anything I do, and that's the key. 
you know, you go out there and you share the truth, some people are just going to get bothered, right? And that's really the key is that you don't want to be the one causing the problem, basically, is what he's saying. So he's like, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So you do what you can to be at peace, right? Like, I'm not going to go and just pick a fight and argue just for the sake of picking a fight and arguing. I want to prove that I'm right, you know. You, know, you just want to get in a fight. Um, what he's saying is that you go and you share the truth. You share the truth in love. And if somebody gets offended, they get offended, right? And that's what he's saying. That's how you live your life. So if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace. But just have the understanding that regardless of how hard you try or how controlled you are on the words you use, you know, you're still, there's going to be people that are just determined to get upset, determined to be offended by what you say and do. And you just have to come to grips with that, you know, and just kind of say, all right, Lord, I'm going to take a step back from this relationship or this conversation and I'm going to let you handle it and I'm going to move on to others and what you have for me over here. You know, and sometimes you got to do that. We want to be at peace. God wants us to be at peace, but fortunately, sometimes it ain't always possible. And verse 19, we're getting close to finishing up here. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. So, we want to make sure we understand the scripture correctly. You know, as Christians, we can seek justice. That's okay. The legal system is there for you and me, just like any other citizen of the United States of America. And you can use the courts. You can use the legal system. Sometimes you have to, right? People get in disputes. People get in, all right, that's what the police is there for, that's what the courts are there for, and you can figure things out. Nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying here, he's saying give place to wrath. You know, so the wrath that he's talking about is really what we've been talking about lately on uh, going through Thessalonians, is that wrath of God. You know, that day of judgment is coming. And he's saying that you've got to give place for that. Because maybe it won't get justice in this world. It doesn't always happen. I mean, they have TV shows all over about people that didn't get justice or they were wronged or falsely accused or whatever, right? Things happen. Justice doesn't always come about in this world and we have to be able to accept that too. But what he's saying is, is don't avenge yourselves if you don't get that justice, but rather give place to wrath for his written vengeance is mine, I will repay, right? So you look forward to that day of wrath that is coming, that day of judgment, and everything will be made right. And that's one of the hopes that we have, right? I don't want people to get judged. I don't want people to go to hell, right? I mean, none of us do. We want everyone to get saved, and we want everyone to go to heaven. But at the same time, there's a certain comfort in knowing that God's going to get it right, that everything will be made right. And that includes his judgments, because he sees everything. He knows everything. He knows all the secret thoughts and all the secret deeds of men and women that have gone on in all the world and all time. And when it comes down to judging whether it's right or wrong, he will get it exactly right. He won't miss a thing. So you may think you've been wronged and you didn't get justice in this life. Well, it's in God's hands. And he says, give it to him. You need to give place to that wrath. You need to give it to him. That day of judgment is coming. God is the judge. We're not the judge. He'll take care of it. And you can have some comfort in that. Okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was taken advantage of. But you know what? God's going to take care of it. I'm not going to try and get vengeance. I'm not going to try and seek this person out and get even, right? Turning evil for evil. That's what God says we don't do. That's what the world does. Rather, you give place to wrath and let God take care of it. Now, heaping coals of fire on somebody's head is an interesting statement. And it's really a quotation. He says it's from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. It's a quotation of an Old Testament scripture. So this saying has been around for a while. It was in the Old Testament. It was in the Word of God. Uh, for a long time. And people go round and round on exactly what this means. You know, people are like, well, what in the world? He coals a fire on someone's head. Some people try to say it's literal. You read all these different commentators on it. And they're saying people had buckets and people would dump hot coals on their head. And some would say it was a good thing. Some say it was a bad thing. I mean, I really don't know exactly what's being said here. But when I read the scriptures and what really the Lord speaks to me as I read about this, you know, for 
if your enemy's hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. You know, in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. I tend to lean towards that it's really just they're going to feel ashamed, you know, um, of their behavior, I think. Because if you are the recipient of being mistreated, basically, like they're just being mean to you, they're persecuting you, they're oppressing you or whatnot, and you turn around and show kindness and love and you help them out, you give them something to drink, you give them something, something to eat, I tend to believe they're, they're, they're going to feel ashamed of their behavior. And I think that's what these coals of fire, I think they'll kind of get this sense of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a different reaction and I'm not getting it. It'll kind of burn them up a little bit, you know, <laughs> like, like maybe get them a little bothered. Hopefully you're feeling a little ashamed of what their behavior is. That's kind of how I tend to lean on the interpretation of this scripture. I know there's different opinions out there exactly what the coals of fire is, but that's the way I look at it. So verse 21, we'll end here. He says, do not be overcome by evil, uh, but overcome evil with good. So don't let this world get you down. That's really what I believe God is saying to us here, right? I mean, we're in the world. We're not of this world. Circumstances are what they are. You know, I had a good friend. Uh, maybe she's watching online. She talked about how we're all in this storm together. We're just in different boats, right? So everyone's kind of going through what's going on with all this craziness right now. And we're dealing with it how best we can deal with it, right? So don't let this world get you down, right? The calling is still the calling. It hasn't changed. Uh, circumstances have changed, yes. We're in this current storm of things going on in the world right now, but the calling is still the same. What God's called us to do is still the same. We just try to figure out and navigate our way through this storm as best we can. And I like First John, it says 5, verse 4 through 5, he says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So overcome evil with good. So keep the faith. Identify your spiritual gifts. Don't be afraid to test them out. Figure out what they are. And once you've identified them, seek to excel in them. Use your gifts. And let your life be that living sacrifice uh, for Jesus Christ.